Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. Today's episode is part two in our movement series. If you heard, part one was about why we might be interested in having a movement practice. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would recommend putting this one on pause, going back to part one, and part two would hopefully make a lot more sense. Today we're going to talk about the what. Part one was the why, part two is the what, the part three we'll get into the house. So what is movement anyway? I've heard human movement defined in different ways and I don't think any of the definitions I've heard are really perfect The one that I have found to be most useful when working in the framework within my mind is human movement is on some level the transfer of energy in the form of force through the body. Our body has this amazing design and regardless of how it got here, it's here. We generally have two legs, two arms, one trunk, one neck, one head. It's a remarkable machine. It's beautiful. It's elegant. It's strong. And it's always adapting. It's fascinating to me to see how fast it can adapt. Sometimes in minutes. There's something really important that we can learn from watching the way a human being develops how to move. In the first year of our life about, we all do pretty much the same thing. If we look elsewhere in the animal kingdom, it's a different story. It's not uncommon for an animal 
to come from its mother's womb in the morning and later in the afternoon be walking around. But humans do it differently. We spend about a year flopping around on the floor, figuring things out. The cool thing is, none of the adults in our life have to tell us how to do it, and we all seem to do it the same way. It's wild, especially when you learn how hard some of the things are. It's amazing that no one has to tell us how to do it. It's as if we do it in response to our environment based on our anatomical design, as if there's just no other way we could move these parts to get around and progress as a human than the way that we do it, and we all do it the same way. We seem to develop the ability to move through patterns. For example, there are what I consider five really foundational human patterns. Now, some people will think some things are patterns, and that's fine. They could think of them that way, where I might think of them as activities. But when I speak of patterns, I'm going to speak on the five most foundational patterns that we seem to exhibit that then show up in activities in many different ways. These things seem to be constant across some amount of space and time, meaning two children, two infants on different sides of the planet in different centuries will still do the same thing the same way again with nobody explaining how to do it if you're laying on the floor as a two-month-old baby and you're on your back and you want to get to your belly you roll over this is like the first form of locomotion we couldn't get really far but we moved I consider that as a foundational human pattern rolling now, there's a lot of varieties in how to do that, and you'll see some variability when you watch babies develop the ability to roll over. But there's some versions of rolling that I find as an adult, when you're looking to restore the quality of your movement, and you're using the same tricks that you originally learned how to move to do so, there's certain variations of rolling that are just extraordinarily useful. Again, our first real form of locomotion is the first pattern in our list of five, rolling. The next pattern is crawling. Now, if you watch babies develop, they do some other things between rolling and crawling, and they might be quite significant. They might not be absolutely necessary, even though they are significant, but the crawling seems fairly necessary. Looking at humans that missed out on crawling, there are some interesting things that will show up as if they skipped a step. Now, these two patterns, rolling and crawling, are very unique. As an adult, we don't spend a lot of time typically on the floor, but the floor offers so much. There is magic that happens from spending on time on the floor. I almost wonder that if there's a fountain of youth, it's really looking at what very small children do and then doing more of what they do. They spend a lot of time on the floor. 
there's other lessons in there too, like a small child's willingness to let go and have fun and laugh and sing and cry and their ability to not care what other people think about them. They really are our greatest teachers. Together, variations of rolling and crawling and practicing some of the components built into those patterns in different ways, I like to lump together as groundwork. I heard not long ago someone referring to the floor as a tuning fork for the body. I love to start my day with a little bit of floor time, as if it's tuning my body, just setting the tone of the, for the day. We'll get into that later in part three in how, when we examine application strategies that we could integrate into our lifestyle. Back to the patterns. So of the five patterns, we've touched on two, rolling cr and crawling. Crawling is our first type of locomotion that we could really cover ground, probably drive our parents crazy because we could really make them chase us around. And then eventually we get standing. Now there's three patterns that I'm going to refer to that are from the standing position. So there's three positions, five patterns. First position is lying. Rolling is the pattern. Now there's different positions of lying. Supine, or on your back, or prone, on your belly. Quadruped is a position. Crawling is a pattern. Quadruped basically referring to being down on all fours. Standing, we have three patterns. Walking, you may refer, or you may hear me refer to this as gait. We're all generally familiar with this. Primary form of locomotion. Easy to get around, walking. And then there's these two patterns that we could use as a way to go from a high position to a low position. I mean, they're similar, but different. One of those I'm going to refer to as hinging. Some people might call this bending. But this would be the pattern where if you lined up a dozen people from a dozen different countries, even from a dozen different centuries, and drop the pencil in front of them, they would throw their hips backwards as a counterweight as their torso would come down more parallel to the ground so they could reach the pencil and pick it up. I think of that as hinging, and it's referring to the hinge in your hip joint. I think of this as being a fairly horizontal pattern. Your hips are traveling posteriorly, backwards. The final pattern is squatting. Most folks are familiar with this. This could be a resting position. It could be an evacuation position. In fact, if you lined up those same dozen people from a dozen different countries, from a dozen different centuries, and said, go poop in the woods, they would all squat. It's something we do. So no matter who your parents are, or where you live, or what century you're, you're from, in the first year about of your life, you teach yourself all these things. And the only real inputs you have is the ground, space with its three planes, and gravity falling upon us. And that's what we come up with. Rolling, crawling, walking, hinging, squatting. Now, I know some people might out there 
be thinking, well, what about pushing and pulling? Like I said earlier, many people think of those as patterns. And I think that's fine to frame your concepts around exercise with that. I just don't. I don't find it as useful. I find looking at things like pushing and pulling as activities. And if you look closer at them, you can actually find gait, walking patterns within them. Now, that might be strange, but let me propose an idea to you. Let's say you were pushing in its most raw form. Let's say your car is parked in your driveway and it's in neutral and you're trying to move it a few feet and you put both hands on the bumper and then you try to move it. If you take a moment and look at how you wind up setting your feet up to do that, it will resemble the gait pattern, one foot in front of the other. That's going to give you your leverage to move that car forward a few feet. So you are pushing, but I wouldn't call pushing the pattern. I would call gait the pattern. Now, from an exercise standpoint, we're going to get into this more in part three, but if you look at what happens in gait, where we're generating force, and where we're transferring that force and where we're applying it, then you take those concepts to any pushing activity, whether it be pushing that car, pushing weights over your head, pushing a sled, bench pressing, even if you're upside down and your feet aren't on the ground in a handstand push-up. Those concepts in gait are the foundation to execute your pushing activity with efficiency and reduce the chance of compensatory strategies that ultimately will lead most likely to a problem, like an injury. The bigger base of the of competency, of the foundational movement patterns, the more we could apply through all other aspects of our life, whether they're an activity in the gym, an exercise, a skill, a hobby, a sport, even a daily activity that just requires some action where maybe we are moving a load through space somehow. You could never have too big of a foundation to build on. That why, that's why I'm always mindful of these five patterns and the quality of them. And when I speak of quality, I'm referring to like the competency in which we could execute them with the greatest probability for performance and the lowest probability of injury. Nobody really moves perfect. I don't think that's a thing. But if we look at us being an organism in space between gravity and the ground, dealing with these planes, given the parameters of our human body, two legs, one trunk, two arms, one neck, one head, for the most of us, there is an efficient way to move force through this body based on this design. And you could always move more than you could move well. But I like to focus on moving well. I want to move more, but not at the expense of moving well. Now, when I think of categorizing things to focus on in a movement practice, I'm going to use some labels. I'm going to be labeling qualities. 
Now there's overlap. This is not perfect, but it's super useful. A quality might be competency, meaning how well are you moving? So given these parameters, how well can you move through patterns or activities so that the performance is desirable of a high level for what that means for us, given our current reality, where we are in our level of conditioning at that time and what our goals are, with the least possibility for a compensatory strategy to get hurt. And a compensatory strategy means the energy that's going through in the form of force through our body, there's an inefficiency somewhere. You know, if you think of a joint in our body, you'll have maybe like, imagine like a pivot point, a hinge of some sort, and there's musculature and soft tissue on each sides, or on all sides. And the ones, the muscles on this side might pull these two bones together this way, and the muscles on the opposing side pull it the other way, and there's a relationship. And as energy and force goes through this joint, we want that relationship to be in somewhat of a balance. And when there's not, if there's interference somehow, and maybe that interference comes from adapting to the chair at our office, or the fact that you fell off a horse when you were nine years old and you have an old injury, or some funky habit you have, your posture. When there's an inefficiency, that tissue relationship will change. Because as a human with a task like progress, go forward, you're going to find a way to survive and go forward. So for instance, if you're walking and you have an inefficiency, something going on in your hip, you're still going to find a way to walk in a straight line. So you're going to compensate to go forward. Like if everybody closed their eyes and took a walk, nobody's going straight. Eventually, you're going to go to the right or the left. It's just we're not perfectly balanced. And there's a lot of individuality to how unbalanced we might get in different asymmetries in our body. And you could have asymmetries in different planes. And even there's a natural asymmetry to our body. If you look at our organ structures and the fascia line that winds through them, you know, it's not perfectly balanced. Some of our organs, we got two, but some we got one, and some, you know, they're off-centered. So this is not a bad thing. So when you find that you do have an asymmetry, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. But oftentimes it's useful to nurture those asymmetries to try to bring them to to at least function more symmetrically. So I'm going to refer to competency as basically how well do you move? How well can you move around in space and not get hurt and do the things you want to do? Another quality I would consider super important is strength. Think of that as how much force can you move through your body? Now together, those two qualities, competency and strength, I find to be the ones that offer the most value to be practicing. So if someone only has three or four hours a week total, the bulk of that will be used for those qualities because I feel like those qualities generally are the ones that keep you out of the nursing home. I don't think people are generally in a nursing home because they lack cardiac endurance. If they're not there because of some disease, that oftentimes is also lifestyle-based, 
maybe through toxicity or poor nutrition or inability to respond to stress, whatever it is. They're generally there because they don't move well enough. They're not strong enough to power themselves through daily activities. And as you get older, it's harder to build strength. It becomes a real uphill battle. So prioritizing strength is super important. So we're going to talk about several qualities, but this is the big meat and potato quality. This is the thing that is ideally going to be a centerpiece of a program, the anchor. It just offers so much benefit relative to the other qualities. So competency, how well you move, strength, how much you can move. A quality might be power. Think of that as adding a velocity, a sense of speed, explosiveness to that force that you're moving. Capacity could be a quality. Could be thought of as endurance. How much of a thing can you do? How long can you do it for? Other qualities might be accomplishing tasks. For instance, if you chop wood to heat your home regularly, that could be accounted for and worked into an overall exercise program. Or if you have a sport or hobby that has physical demands to it, that could be considered play as a quality. There's definitely room for those things. There's a lot of overlap. Even if you're standing still, there is a competency you are expressing. There's not a lot of demands there, but you have gravity upon you, and there's something, there's an amount of force that you have to apply to the ground to keep your skeleton upright against gravity. There's a duration to it. So even though it seems like a pretty simple activity, there's a lot of qualities in that. So everything we do, we can label different qualities that are built into it. But when developing a program, we focus on something. We pick some quality that we're focusing on for a reason. Hypertrophy might be a quality, the building of muscle. Often overlooked quality in the medical field for some reason, it doesn't seem a lot of people's primary care physician ever talks about the value of putting on muscle. And as you age, it's really hard to do, and it's really important to do. And there's not a lot of discussions about it. Fortunately, with all the amazing content that's available now on the internet, there are some really beautiful voices in that space conveying that message, and more people are learning about it. So to recap so far, part two, the what's of movement. Movement is the transfer of energy in the form of force through our body. It seems like we all learn how to do this in about the first year of our life. We generally learn the same way. We go through the same patterns. Some folks refer that to the developmental sequence and we could apply qualities to those patterns and exercises where we're expressing the concepts that are within those patterns through those activities for a desired outcome. I hope this summary is helpful. I think in the next part, if this is all new to you, these type of concepts, in the next part, when we talk about the how, what does this look like? I will be able to bring these ideas and paint a clearer picture, I hope, for you. 
For now, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode, and I hope you check in for part three to learn more. Thanks and have a great day.